0: Father, we're truly grateful to be together this morning, gathered as your people. Would you speak to us? God, just as we sang, we're desperate for your mercy, for your forgiveness, for a relationship with you. Would that be the posture of our heart in listening to your word this morning? God, as we examine your son's word and his words and in his interaction with his followers, would you give us eyes to see clearly? ears to hear clearly, hearts to be transformed into the likeness of you. Spirit, would you convict, would you comfort, would you align us uh, to what's true about where we find our security this morning? Um, uh, We wouldn't just hear it, uh, but that we would live it as we leave this place. So be with us this morning. Uh, We love you. We pray this in your son's name. Well, good morning. Good to be with you this morning. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. Thankful uh, to gather with you guys today. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to Luke 12. If it's not already there, we're going to be looking at uh, verses 22 through 31 in our text this morning in our second week on this four-week series called Rich Towards God. And really, the the heartbeat behind this series is uh, not about where you give your money or how you handle your finances, but really kind of going below the waterline that Jesus always does in our heart and going like, where do you get your security? Like, where do you value the things you call security, and oftentimes it's tied to finances and money, and so what does Jesus say, and how does he unravel the narrative that many of us have bought into in our culture about money and security and finances, and so uh, we're in Luke chapter 12 again for uh, this week and the next uh, two weeks, and we had a week already, so the way I want to start us this morning is just for us to engage our imaginations a little bit this morning, if you would. I want to take us back. Let's imagine that there is such a thing as time travel. Some of you think that might be true. I don't think it is, but let's imagine that it is. And let's imagine that we could get into some type of time travel device, DeLorean uh, preferred, right? And we could go back, we could go back to the year 1992, okay? 30 years ago, 1992. Now I know for us in the room, we have various ages in the room. Some of you were not even a glimmer in your parents' eyes in 1992. Some of you were having kids. In 1992, so let me paint the picture a little bit for what was going on in the year 1992 to give us context for this imaginative journey that we're going to go on this morning. In 1992, the NBA, the Bulls had just won their second championship under the tutelage of Michael Jordan uh, of the decade. Yep, that was exciting. Um, at the box office, there was movies um, that came out in 1992. A Few Good Men was a movie that came out in 1992. White Men Can't Jump. Uh, the movie Boomerang with uh, Eddie Murphy was in 1992. Uh, the cartoon Aladdin, Disney's Aladdin, was in 1992. None of those were the best movie of the year. Does anybody know the top box office movie of the year in 1992? Any guesses out there? Troy, do you have any guesses? You're not going to guess it because it was a terrible movie. <laughs> Batman Returns was the number one movie of the year in 1992. It was a terrible movie, but it was a sequel, so it was like a money grab. and Everybody can see it, right? Um, What else was happening in 1992? Speaking of money, uh, gas was $1.19 a gallon in 1992. The average income in America, average income, $30,000 in 1992 for some of you that – Lives and and what was on the radio. Uh, if you turned on the radio now, for some of you young folks, the radio is a device we would listen to in <laughs> our home or our car. It was music that would come, that's how we would kind of get our music. Uh, if you turned on the radio in 1992, you would have there would be lots of hits on the airwaves. One classic uh, by Sir Mix a lot, uh, Baby Got Back, which came out in 1992. Uh, that's true. Um, and you were probably sipping on some Crystal Pepsi. Uh, because that's the only year that, that it came out. If you don't know what Crystal Pepsi is, you don't need to know this kind of disaster department <laughs> employed by Pepsi. Anyway, um, for myself, just to date myself a little bit, in 1992, um, I had just finished eighth grade and was going into my freshman year of high school here at Deer Valley High School. I'd recently moved here to the Phoenix area and spent four years at Deer Valley, and that was my first year, 1992. Um, so let's imagine we can go back. We jump in our glory, and we go back to 1992, and here's here's the exercise. Um, We're going back to invest in a company. You can pick any company. Now, the company doesn't have to be in existence in 1992, but in the last 30 years, what have been the most profitable companies in the world? You go back to 1992. You guys are terrible. Just spoiled all of them. (laughs) If you didn't invest in Apple, who else would you invest in? What? Amazon, somebody said, that was number three. Apple's number one. Dell didn't make the list as close. Microsoft was number two. In the last 30 years, the the top kind of 30 stocks that, that accrued wealth. Uh, some of the ones that make the list were Disney, uh, at the bottom of, of the list, they were number 29. Um, some of the other ones on the list, Coke, Visa, Home Depot, uh, Facebook was number 8, it didn't come out until 2003, but it has exploded, obviously. Walmart was on that list, Tesla was number 6 on the list, Google, number 4, uh, Amazon, number 3, Microsoft, and Apple, number 1. So. If we could actually do that, if somehow we could all time travel back to 1992 and we could take the money that we have, we could invest it in Apple. Would you be interested in doing that? I feel like all of us should go, yeah, that would be great. Why? Because if we did that, we would go, I never have to think about money again. Like, I'm, I, like I, I'm secure in my future, my kids can go to college, like my family will be set up because we invest in something that is going to balloon, it's going to pay dividends back to us, and it's going to make us secure, right? Like, we would all take that opportunity if we had the opportunity, we would be foolish not to do that. And somehow, we think that money provides security for Right? It's embedded into our culture. It's in our psyche that somehow if we have enough money in our bank account, man, we're going to be safe. We're going to feel good because money can do certain things for us and to us in our culture. And even for me, when I uh, left Deer Valley High School and I went to college in undergrad, like my 18-year-old mind, you know the reason I wanted to go to college? There were two main reasons I wanted to go to college. I wanted to go to meet a wife, which I had already met, but it started dating in college. And then I wanted to go to get it good degree. So what? I could get a good job. So I could have money. That's what I was thinking when I went to college. Why should I invest in these for you? Because I want to find a spouse and I want to get a job that's going to make me money and make me feel secure, right? We all have that at some level. And what this passage is going to do for us this morning, what Jesus' words will do, is he helps realign our thinking to where we get our security. Specifically with our finances If our security is tied to our money He's going to give some corrective thoughts To his followers To his disciples And the big idea this morning If you are taking notes is this This idea of being overly concerned Being overly concerned with what we consume (laughs) What we eat, what we drink, and what we wear Leads us to the captivity of anxiety When we're overly concerned about those things We... Become prisoners to anxiety. But if you're a follower of Jesus, being overly concerned with the king and his kingdom leads us to the freedom of contention. That's what we're going to learn this morning in this interaction that Jesus has with his followers. So again, if you have a Bible, let's look. Down at Luke chapter 12. Let me just get us caught up just for some context. As Aaron uh, was with us last week, I'm so grateful for him filling the pulpit and for a lot of reasons. And so he walked us through the beginning of our series. And we started in verse 13 of chapter 12 of Luke. And in 13, Jesus is speaking to the crowds, it says. And in the midst of speaking to the crowds, somebody interrupts him. And says, Jesus, tell my brother to give me the inheritance kind of due to me. Jesus is like, well, I'm, I'm not to judge over you, which is kind of ironic because he is the judge. But he's like, I'm not to judge over you. Like, wh- why are you bringing this to me? And then he gives this parable. Remember the parable of this man that has a lot of money, yeah. he has a plentiful of crops and he's trying to figure out what to do. He's like, oh, I'm going to tear down my barns, I'm going to build bigger ones and I'm going to store it and I'm going to eat and drink and be merry. And then in the parable, Jesus says, fool, tonight you don't even know your life is going to be taken from And then in verse 21, he uses this phrase. If you look down at your Bible in um, verse uh, 21 of chapter 12, he says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself is not rich towards God. lays up treasure for himself is not rich towards God. Abundance is not wrong, but what do you do with that abundance? Do you hoard it? Do you keep it for yourself? Or like Aaron talked about last week, are you blessed to be a blessing to other people? And what Jesus says is if you're blessed, and you just hold that blessing, you keep that blessing, and that's where you get security, and you feel good about that, you're not rich towards God. And again, that's the title of the series that we're in. And and even that idea of being rich towards God, we need to kind of define some of our terms. We also need to define terms in our culture, right? Because I might use the word rich, and you might think something different when I'm saying it. So let's all get on the same page. When I'm saying rich, and we're using the word rich, and even rich towards God, the idea of rich is having excess or abundance, having excess or abundance of something. And typically when we use that word rich in our culture, I mean, we can say like, man, this cheesecake is really rich. Like it has an excess or abundance of flavor, it's dense. But typically when we use the word rich, we're thinking about money in our culture. We're thinking about you have excess or abundance in money. Now, if we all, stopped the sermon, and we did a survey of everybody in the room this morning. And we all went down the line and said, are you rich? Are you rich? Would you say you're rich? Um, my guess is everybody in here would go, no. The people in Paradise Valley, Scotts, Scottsdale, like the million-dollar home, but that's, that's, that's who's rich. I only have a half million. I only drive two cars, not three cars, right? Uh, and so there's a subjectivity towards this word "rich" because uh, we could say we're not rich, we could think we're not rich, but again, the majority of the world would look at us and go, "Oh, you're very rich." And and again, that's that's in monetary terms. Um, but we can also think of rich in other categories, not just connected and related to money, right? I remember growing up in, in public school and even in junior high and. And high school, and you're starting to kind of figure out like how culture works and society works and friendships work, right? The kind of the social hierarchy of of certain things and classes, and, and at least for me, you start to realize really quick like who the rich kids are, right? Because they have a certain clothing brand, or it, really in high school, like they they have a car number one, or they drive a certain car, and you go, oh, they're of a family of means, like they're rich, they have money. I don't know if you remember ex- kind of experiencing that um, as you kind of grew up and kind of realized who has money and who doesn't. And I remember my kids kind of began to realize that kind of the social fabrics that they interacted with in, in school. And, and even having my kids ask me the question like, are we rich? Because we've been in ministry since we left college, my wife and I, and um, we've had people give us brand new cars. We've had people um, help us get into the house that we have. Um, we, we worked with athletes for a long time, so we just had shoes sent to our doorstep all the time, right? Like, we continue to have shoes sent to us. And so it kind of looks like, we're man, like, are you the rich? Are we? My kid's going, are we the rich kids? Like, I go, we can look at the checking account right now. Like, we want to look at the W-2. Um, if we're talking about financially, uh, no, we're not rich. Um, and not even subjectively. It's like, we're just trying to pay our bills, honestly, you know? Um, but when they would ask that question, not just money wise, I would go, we're really rich. Right? Like, like, not in the bank account, but like when I think relational, like, and I think of the categories of relationships, oh my goodness, do we have an excess in abundance? For us personally, our family. And our family is really connected, and we have relationships all over the country with people because we've been doing ministry. we made choices in being in ministry to say, listen, I'm not going to invest uh, in my 401K or my 403B in money, but I'm going to invest in this relationship. And those relationships have paid dividends. We are massively rich, personally, our family, in relationships. So you could look at the idea of, are you rich uh, with money? Are you rich relationally? But what we're going to ask, what we're asking this series is, are you rich towards God? In your relationship with God, if I asked you the question, do you feel like you have excess and abundance in your relationship with God? How would you answer? And we'd probably answer all in different reasons for, you know, different ways for different reasons and, and going, man, like, Are you invested just like you invest in relationships or you invest in money? And over time, that pays dividends. If we go back to 92, we invest in Apple. It builds and builds and builds to our excess and our abundance. Are you doing that in your relationship with God? Are you making decisions to invest in that relationship so that eventually you can be rich with God? We talked about, we announced the, the idea of a praying life seminar. Like, if we went back to 92, and, and that was a real proposition, and I said, hey, we're going to go back, get what you have, we're going to invest in Apple, um, would anybody go, ah, i just kind of tired. I don't know. DeLorean's kind of bumpy. I don't, I don't know if i want to do that. No, I'm just going to stay here. That would be ridiculous. We'd all go, okay, I don't know what's going to cost me, but th- this is going to pay dividends over the years in my financial security. And so why don't we do that in a relationship with Man, we're having this prayer somewhere. It's not a cost to you other than your time. Come and find out what it looks like to connect with Jesus, what it looks like to be real and honest in your relationship with God. Learn what it means to pray. I would just encourage all of us that this room would be filled on that night and that morning. Maybe you have other things. This is not, I'm not trying to guilt you into anything or shame you or those kind of things, but I'm just going, man, this is an opportunity for us to deposit in what it means to be rich towards God. So that's the question that Jesus is asking, even in our culture, what it means to be rich. How does Jesus define this idea of being rich towards God? Well, clearly in verse 21, he gives us what it, what it doesn't mean. It means when you do have abundance, it's you just hold it to yourself and you don't share it. The other thing we're going to see in, in this text at the end of it is another way that we make deposits in being rich towards God is you seek <laughs> his kingdom first. How do you get rich towards God? You seek his kingdom. First, So let's jump into the text, verse 22. Again, if you have your Bible, we're just going to kind of walk through uh, these verses and this interaction with, with Jesus and his followers. So verse 22 chapter 12 says this, and he said to his disciples, this is Jesus speaking obviously, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, or what you will put on it. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. So the first thing we need to recognize here is there's a shift in the audience, right? Jesus is talking to the crowd, he's talking to everybody, and then all of a sudden, in verse 22, it says he turns to his disciples to talk to them. It'd be like if you've had this interaction where um, your boss is addressing everybody in the company, and he's addressing this question from maybe this one person, and he's kind of giving this thing, and then all of a sudden, he takes the, the few of you after the meeting he pulls you aside to this side room, and he goes, okay, let me really tell you what this is about and how it affects you as you invest in this company. And so Jesus is taking his followers, people that have said, I'm gonna walk with you, be about your kingdom, and he goes, okay, let me double down on what I just said to the crowd, specifically what it means for you. And he says, therefore, verse 22, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. So we've said this, and we'll continue to say anytime in in the Bible when you're reading it, and, and the word therefore is there. You go, what is the therefore, therefore? Like, and it's a direct contrast and coming off of Jesus' parable about this rich man and, and being rich towards God and, and hoarding your abundance versus giving your abundance. And so that's the context that Jesus gets into, and he's saying, don't be anxious about your life. So you imagine the disciples, after they hear this kind of teaching and this parable to everybody, and then Jesus turns and kind of pulls them aside, because they might be going, like, well, Jesus, like, shouldn't we store all our things? Like, isn't, isn't that a good play? Isn't that and they're probably going, like, well, what are we supposed to do about food and clothing and those types of things? And he starts by going, like, okay, let me, let me help you understand not to be anxious. And then he gives them specific categories. He gives them the categories uh, of eating and uh, of what you put on, your clothing, which is interesting to me that he gives those categories. Verse 23, again, a life is more than food in the body more than clothing, because we all need substance. We need food, and we all need beauty. We need clothing to survive. And so he's saying, like, listen, you're gonna, there's gonna be things that come in your mind, this anxiety. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, we were in Habakkuk chapter three. Like, It's, it's not this idea, and sometimes in, in, in our Christian spaces, man, we just, we're not very empathetic, uh, especially um, ones that, man, we really care about the Bible and its truth, which we do. But somebody will come in and basically go, man, I'm really feeling anxious. The Bible says not to be anxious. Stop being anxious. And it's not very loving. It's not very kind. And we talked about this. It's not, it's not that we shouldn't feel anxiety because we live in a broken world. If you really sit and you look at what's going around you and in your life, you should feel some type of unsettling in your soul. And so it's not just about like, oh, stop, stop being anxious. Like, But it's like, Jesus is going, don't, don't let it, don't let it dominate your life. And it feels to me more like an invitation from Jesus. Not like a stern, like shaming of stop being anxious, but he's going, no. No, don't let this consume your mind. And here's why. And this was what he gets into these two categories of, um, again, I'm I'm using the language of substance and beauty with food and clothing, and you'll see why in his examples in a minute. But man, we all need substance. And we all need beauty in our lives to survive. And, thrive. and sometimes we get anxious when those things aren't in front of us or on us. So verse 24, he, he goes into these two different examples. He points back to creation, which I think is beautiful. So let's look at verse uh, 24. He says this. He says, consider, don't be anxious, but consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They neither have storehouses or barns, and yet God feeds them of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of his life? And then you are not able to do a small thing as that. Why are you anxious about the rest? Again, um, just doubling down on some of these words that that we need to pick up on that the text is giving us clues for as Jesus speaks. He says, consider the ravens. He's going to say, consider the ravens. And then in verse 24, the other example, he's going to say, consider the lilies. So this word consider um, in the original language in the New Testament Greek, um, the the word kind of has a weight of depth to it. It really is this idea of fully observe, fix your eyes on this thing. When I read that, um, the word consider, in in, in our culture, usually when we use the word consider, it doesn't have that kind of weight and depth to it. Like my wife and I were out of town this last week, and I got a text, and uh, it was like, hey, we're going to play basketball. We're going to play pickup, 5.30 on Saturday morning. Do you want to play? And I fired back real quick, hey, I'm out of town. Um, I'll think about it, and I'll let you know. And really what I was saying is like, well, I'll I'll consider it. But when I use that word, it's like there's no depth in it. (laughs) I'm basically giving a side like – Do I want to play? Do I not want to play? And then I'll let you know. But this word has a deeper meaning to it. And what Jesus is saying is that you're feeling anxious about this thing. I I want you to stop feeling anxious, and I want to shift your attention deeply to consider these things when I talk to my counseling friends in the field when they're dealing with anxiety or panic attacks, typically what they will do even clinically with what's going on in the brain is we'll say, okay, when they start spinning, like get outside, like touch touch something, get something right in front of you to, to shift your focus from that thing you can't control that seems to be dominating your space in your head and go like, what, what's, what's right here? What's right in front of you? And so Jesus does this and he says, consider the ravens. And here's what he says, again, about the raven in verse 24. They neither have storehouses or barns. You see what Jesus is doing? He's, he's, he's connecting it right back to the parable of this man that, that builds bigger storehouses, bigger barns, to kind of collect and hold his security tight to himself. He says, but man, the ravens don't have that. And yet God feeds them. Right? And don't you know? Like, don't you know you're so much more valuable than they if your heavenly father feeds the birds, he will take care of you. He'll take care of you. Don't be anxious about this. Like He's going to take care of you. He's got you. <clears throat> Many uh, people in our community have engaged in, in the crisis in our state of um, foster care and adoption. Um, and we love that. And, and, and um, those of you that have been around, even wrapped around people in, in this space, um, Man, you want to talk about something that produces anxiety, right? It's dealing in a broken system with children. Um, Man, it's painful, and it produces anxiety. And I was talking to a friend uh, this last week uh, about that, and they've engaged in in this uh, crisis and uh, were on the way to the courthouse, and they had adopted, and uh, they had fostered, and they were about to adopt, and and just going like, I I don't know what's going to happen in this meeting, Right? And they're on their way there, and they're talking about it, and the husband's talking to his wife, and, and they're saying, like, how do you feel? Like, how are you feeling right now? And the husband is a guy that, that, in his own admission and in my admission of him, he's not a guy that's typically anxious. Some of us just, it just, we wake up anxious. And some of us, that's not the case. And he's not really a person that, that, that kind of, that follows him around, that's not part of his struggle. Uh, but in the moment, when his wife asked him, he goes, man, I'm just... Feel it in the body. And as he said that, they pulled a a red light. He leaned over and he looked out the window. As he looked out the window, he looked at a yard, and it was a gravel yard in Arizona, right? It's in rocks. And the drip system, the sprinkler system, had somehow broken. And so the water was just pouring out. It was pooling. It was like this, this little pool in this gravel yard right in front of him. And what did he see? He saw this bird. It was drinking. And taking him bath. And right in that moment it was like the Lord brought him back to this passage to go, don't you know? Don't you know I'm going to take care of you? Don't you know I'm going to provide for you? And that tangible moment of considering, he didn't uh, stay on that anxious feeling like as he's talking to his wife he turned and, and God provided a space for him to look at the reality of going, man look at this bird. This bird didn't do anything. The bird didn't break the drip system. The bird, the bird just happened to be involved in drinking in what Jesus is saying is like specifically with the idea of substance and food. And you're going man, like, um, if I look at my bills and I'm going like, this isn't lining up. <laughs> like I don't know how I'm going to pay this. I don't know how I'm going to feed my family. I don't know how to make ends meet. And instead of focusing on the reality that's right in front of you, the circumstances, instead shift your focus, consider the God that will provide for you. This is what Jesus is saying, and this is what we need to be reminded of. In this section, specifically with the ravens, I think what Jesus is saying is, man, you don't know your value. Because if you look at the birds, part of the creative world that I love and I care for and I'm providing for, do you know that you're so much more valuable than me? You don't know your value that I'm going to provide for you, I'm going to take care of you. You don't need to be anxious about it happening. Trust me that I will provide for your substance. That's the first example Jesus gives. And then verse 27, then he gives a second example. Again, first it says, consider the raven. Second, he says, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet yeah, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O little thing? The idea of grass thrown into the oven is just because they didn't have a lot of trees in that culture, so they would use it as a burning fuel. That's kind of where that context comes from. But how are we supposed to consider the lilies? How they grow. How they grow. The lilies don't sit there in the field. Okay. I'm going to grow. They don't will themselves into growing. That's what Jesus is saying. He's like, listen, they don't control it. They don't will themselves into growing. Like, God is the one that grows them. He provides. He clothes the grass with lilies. We talked about this in our series, We Want a King, if you were with us. We looked at Solomon and specifically how much money Solomon had. Man, Solomon had all the money. Richest person ever to walk the earth by tons of times over. Can you imagine how he was arrayed? All the finest. clothing. Mean, he was Come on, you look good, right? Like all of it. And Jesus is going, man, it doesn't even compare to how I clothe the grass. Like how I provide beauty for creation, and I can provide beauty for you. And some of us, when we get anxious in our spaces, it's because we're going, man, I don't feel like I have beauty around me. And you can use that in multiple different ways, but if you're looking at your life and you're looking at your circumstances and you go, man, I just want to be married. <laughs> like I want to be in a relationship. My friends are all getting married. I keep being a groomsman or a bridesmaid. I'm just tired of it. Like I, I want to be married, but you look at your reality and you go like, I don't even have any prospects on the horizon. I just feel like there's not beauty around me. You feel like you're in a desert wasteland. Maybe you have found that person, you are married, and you're like, we just want to have kids. We just want to have a family. And for whatever reason, it's not happening. There's fertility issues, and you're going, God, if you're good, why don't you give us a family? Why don't you give us beauty? And you're kind of crying out to him, and you're just feeling like, it's a wasteland. Maybe you have that relationship that one time brought you beauty in your life, and because of circumstances, it's broken. It's fractured. And you're like, man, I just want that relationship to be what it was before. And you're going like, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like there's beauty on the horizon. What do I need to do? When you look at this passage and how Jesus is using this example, do you just will yourself? You go, okay, I don't see it anywhere. I'm just going to start doing it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make things happen. And again, there, there's an active part in waiting. I'm not saying you just sit back passively and don't do anything. But are you trusting God to meet that need in your life, that beauty in your life? Or are you going, no, no, it's all on me because God clearly doesn't care about it because he's not doing anything. And I'm tired of waiting. And Jesus is saying, stop being anxious about that. Let me help you understand. I provide beauty for you. I can provide beauty for you in your life. Well, what does that actually look like in the midst of waiting and being frustrated with your circumstances? I love in the Gospel of Matthew, this is a similar passage to Jesus' teaching, Matthew chapter 6 in, in the Sermon on the Mount. At the end of it, he's got almost word for word the same kind of interaction. But then he adds something. Matthew adds something in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. He says it this way at the end of kind of this conversation He says, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So if you find yourself in that desert wasteland going like, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't see beauty in my life and I'm confused about it. Instead of willing it, like, here's your job, Christian. Just trust him for today. Just today. Don't worry about five years from now. Don't worry about five months from now. Just go, God, can you meet me in beauty today? That's what he's calling us to. Even in this passage, he's going like, listen, don't worry about tomorrow. Man, that's going to have plenty of worries. You don't even know what's going to come. Just like this person who was like, I'm going to build myself. The soul is going to be taken from you tonight. Just do today. And then he ends this part of the passage in... Verse 28 says, O oh, you of little faith. Because it takes faith to believe in something that you don't see in the horizon. Right? Even in those contexts of trying to have the money that you want or the job that you want or certain things that are private security or the beauty that you want in relationship and, and being great, and you're going like, I just don't see it anywhere. Because it takes faith. And what Jesus is saying is to have faith. Just like his illustration of the raven and how he's going to provide for him, going like, you don't know your value, that you're so much more important than the birds, and I'm going to provide for you, and I'm going to feed you, and I'm going to take care of you. This example, he's going, man, not that you just don't know your value, you don't know God's value. Can God array the grass with lilies like that? Can he take care of you like that? He totally can, but we often don't have faith in that because we start to have faith in our circumstances rather than having faith. And the God that takes care of us. This last part of the section, verse 29, as Jesus kind of gives these examples and says, man, I, I want you to shift your focus. I don't want you to consider on your anxiety. I want you to shift, and I want you to look at these specific things. Man, the raven, I'll, I'll feed you uh, the lilies. I'll provide for you. I'll give beauty to you. And then he says this in verse 29. He says, and do not seek what you're to eat and what you're to drink or be worried for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Man, faith is just scary. It just is. Again, you're looking at your circumstances, you're going, like, I just I don't know how this is gonna work itself out from my desires and what I'm seeing. And so trusting God to provide your next paycheck when bills are stacking up, man. Man, that's hard. Right? Trusting God to bring beauty into your life when you feel like it's nowhere to be found. That, that's hard. And having our needs met with substance and beauty is what everyone's after. Which is why the idea of being rich is so comforting to us. Right? Because our needs are met. If we're rich, we're, we're, we're good. We don't have any problems. We don't gotta worry about anything. And this is why Jesus says in verse 30, man, that the the world seeks after these things. If you don't know Jesus there, they're naturally going to seek after that abundance, that access, that that richness, so they can be secure in life. But the problem is if you live that life, you become captive to your anxiety. Because you don't always get those things. And then so your focus is on those things, and it's just a nonstop wheel of anxiety. But what does Jesus say to his followers? For the Christian, who he's talking to again, he's talking to his disciples. In verse thirty, your father knows. The Lord. Oh my goodness, what a comforting space. If you really believe? I'm feeling anxious about this, man. I don't. I, I don't know how this is going to work out. I got your father knows. He knows your situation. He knows what's going on with you. <laughs> he knows what you need. And if I'm honest with myself, when I start to feel anxious about certain things in my relationship with God, I go like, well, God, you don't really know what I need. Or even worse, maybe you know what I need, but you don't want to give it to me because I screwed up or I messed up or I play this kind of game with God that made he's not a good dad because, or I'm not a good son and I've messed up. And so this is kind of punishment for me and he's not providing for me. No, And your father knows, he knows that you need them. Provide those things for you. And again, I can get into the pocket of believing that, man, like, God's just not going to provide them for me. Like, he just doesn't love me or he doesn't really care. He's somehow holding out on me. Because it's a good God. He controls everything. He would be, he would give it. He'd give it to me by now. Man, it's the same. It's the same lie in Genesis 3. Isn't it with Adam and Eve and, and the serpent in the garden? The serpent, the first time he comes on to the sea and the enemy, and he questions Eve and he like, Did God really tell you not to eat of this tree? So he starts to put this doubt, like, is God's word really true? Like, if it says I, sh- I should uh, abstain uh, 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 from sexual uh, activity until I'm married, like, it, is that really true, right? That's part of the game. And if I want to have a spouse, I need to do those types of things. Like, it starts to question. What's true of God? And then the next thing the serpent says in Genesis 3, like, man, God knows if you eat of this tree, your eyes will be open. Right? He's, kind of, he's holding back on you. He doesn't really love you. He, he doesn't really care. Because if he really loved you and he cared for you, he'd let you eat the tree. He'd let you know. He's holding back on you in some form or fashion. And then the serpent says, take and eat. Go ahead. No, I know what you need? Don't you know this is part of your protection? Don't you know that I love you, that I care for you, that I will provide what you need. And they didn't believe that, right? Adam and Eve. They bit the bait. Same thing we do, right? It's the same thing. We start to question whether God loves us, if He's gonna provide for us. We start to go down this road, and then that just spins into anxiety. And Jesus sends. Verse 31, how do we do this? He just says, instead of worrying about those things, going after those things on your own effort, instead, seek his kingdom. Seek his kingdom. Put your energy towards him instead of your circumstances, and all these things will be added to you. Shift your focus, shift your mental focus on him Rather than your circumstances. Because again, being overly concerned with what we consume, it leads to our captivity of anxiety. But being overly concerned with the king and his kingdom leads us to the freedom of contentment. It's so true and so good. And in a conversation with Jesus has, with his disciples, that we get to listen into in God's word about the need for substance and the need for beauty and how the Father supplies that need for his children and invites his children not to worry, but by faith, trust their Father to meet his needs for the day. Man, there's no better way to remind ourselves of this truth than coming to the king's table to remember this through bread just do today. Just go, God's going to meet me today. And this is a tangible reminder of communion. What we're about to do is a tangible reminder for the follower of Jesus that he does meet our needs. As You have needs this morning for substance, and you're not sure how you're going to have those needs met. You're going like, I don't know how I'm going to pay that bill. I don't know where my next meal is going to come from. I don't know how to make ends meet this morning. Come to the table. And be reminded of Christ's body that sustains you for the day. Right? As you search for beauty in a dark season of your life, you feel lonely, you feel disoriented, you feel abandoned, you feel hopeless, you feel confused on the next step to take. Take the step towards the table this morning and be reminded. Be reminded that Jesus' blood shed for you provides access to the most beautiful things could ever have a relationship with a father. And in that beauty, you will get your needs met for the day. Man, I hope this table and what we do on Sundays is forming and shaping us to believe that when we leave this place. Right? That's the hope as we move towards the table to, together to be reminded because the idea of being rich you know how rich you are? Follower of Jesus, do you? No. Sometimes when I look at my bank account, and if I'm honest, like with multiple accounts and my checking account, like it's, it's coming down to zero, and I, if I look at that, I go, oh, I, don't know. <laughs> I don't have any money. And sometimes we look at our circumstances like that. We look at our circumstances, we go, God, love, and we start freaking out, we get excited, and we go, oh, stop. Don't look at that. Look at that. You know how rich you are. That the Father has given his son. And so instead of looking at our circumstances like we look at our bank account, we freak out, instead of looking at our circumstances, we look to the cross and to the resurrection. And we go, we are rich. We're so rich. Could we be reminded of that this morning? As we come to the table. Wherever we are in the need for substance, wherever we are in the need for beauty, can we go? It gets met here at the table this morning, just for today. Let's practice that, let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your goodness to us, your love for us, your sacrifice for us, and how we get to be reminded of that as we come to the table this morning. Would you make it true? God, we don't wanna feel anxious. None of us want to feel that way. And so when we start to feel that way in our body, as we look at our circumstances, would you help shift our focus to consider the raven, to consider the lilies, to consider your son? And when we do that, would you help shift our hearts and our minds back to being secure in you? Help us seek your kingdom above all else. Help us invest well in being rich in our relationship We ask that you do it. We pray in your name.